You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me in Southampton, England is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm getting over a cold. Fun. That's the first time I've had a cold since the pandemic. Colds are back. I can yeah. To that, because I have a toddler, so I get a cold approximately every two weeks. Um, you're lucky that you do not have children, in that uh, your immune system will get tested daily when you have a toddler. Yes, <laughs> I always, whenever I get sick, it's because I'm hanging out with friends and their kids. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, if you have kids, you're getting sick all the time. That's right. Yeah. Have you been able to watch any of the Paralympics? So the two things is the two things I picked up from social media. So one, okay, the, the one big story we should just address directly is that Russia's uh, their, their athletes have all been excluded from the games because of the yes. invasion of Ukraine. So that's that's actually not trivial for curling because the Russians were one of the favorites going in. Right? Uh, so. Yeah, if we're if we're talking about curling and just curling and not global political um, repercussions in just a curling sense. Yes, one of the medal favorites is now out of the Paralympic co uh, competition when you remove Russia from from the competition, which kind of really opens it up for, I, I think, opens it up for whoever's going to get kind of the fourth playoff spot. Because I think I would be surprised if... Canada, Sweden, or China did not make the playoffs, and then mm -hmm. Russia was kind of that that fourth team that kind of seemed above the rest of the field. So removing Russia from the competition really kind of opens it up, and I've kind of seen that so far. Yeah. The other thing, so this I just saw this on social media from Devin Hero's Twitter feed, but apparently in the Canada game this morning in the first end, like something that never happens happened. And yeah. it's directly related to actually wheelchair curling. So it sounded like Canada thought they were sitting two at the end of the end and were asking for a measure and the helper removed the stones before they decided or agreed on the score. Yep. And so in regular curling, the same thing happens too. You can, the non-offending team gets to decide either if they're going to just take the one point or they can replay the end. And in this case, because it was a, a neutral person, not a player, mm -hmm. Canada opted to replay the end. So that's, you know, that's something I have never seen in no. competitive curling. It's happened twice when I was curling, where a player on my team kicked, uh, <laughs> kicked a stone yeah. away before we agreed. It always seems to go against me. But, um, but I, in those cases, there's an offending team. Yeah, in this case, there was no offending team, so you, you could basically either take one point or play again. So mm -hmm. that's a rare replayed end, which is a bit interesting, I thought. Yeah, I'd, I've I've never seen that before. 
looking forward to the rest of the event. I think it will be an interesting event. Um, going back to Russia very briefly, that, that is something that we are going to have to cover in the future because there are more issues than just uh, Russia being excluded from the Paralympics. I think we're going to have to find find a guest and do a deep dive into kind of the issues that world curling faces uh, when, it, when it comes to the Russian Federation. Um, so we will cover that at a, at a later time. We do want to do a deeper dive into wheelchair curling, and we're actually going to talk to a friend of yours, right, Jonathan? Yeah, so we're going to get, uh, so Stuart uh, Pimblett, who's our guest today, he, he, his curling club came down and played in the Kent and Sussex Bondspiel, which is the big Bondspiel that um, the South of England Curling Club runs every year. So I, I met him there uh, very briefly. I actually didn't get a chance to play against them because he was in a different pool. But uh, so Stewart's is Northern Ice is a wheelchair only curling club, and they travel all around the UK uh, playing in different competitions, both able bodied and wheelchair. Uh, he's, I think he's quite a character. So I think we're going to kind of get a little <laughs> bit of his backstory, which is, I think, really interesting. And then talk a bit about how he's developed the wheelchair curling club. Yeah. And he talked to us before we got started that like one of the things he loves about this sport and loves about having started his own wheelchair curling club is the difference he's seen it make in his friends' lives um, and how being involved in competitive sport um, has, has really lifted them. So, um, so I think Stuart's an incredible guy just because he, he seems to really be focused on improving the lives of, of whoever's around him, whether they're disabled or able-bodied. Uh, and I loved having the chance to, to talk to Stuart. We're joined today by Stuart Pemblett, who's a wheelchair curler, and he's also the founder of a wheelchair curling club in England called Northern Ice. He's also represented England several times internationally, including in the World B uh, Wheelchair Curling Championship. And he's also on the the development squad for British Curling's Paralympic team as well. So welcome to the podcast, Stuart. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah. I hope, you enjoy, I hope you enjoy a little bit about my story and I'll, I'll, I'll be as honest and frank as I can be. <laughs> uh, I thought you'd be great because your story is really interesting. And um, and there, there aren't that many wheelchair curling clubs, I think, in the world. So part of the angle is like, oh, the Paralympics going on, maybe talk a little bit about what a wheelchair, like a dedicated wheelchair club is like. But but we want to begin with our kind of the question we always ask our guests at the outset, which is, where are you from and what was it like growing up there? Yeah, I, I currently, well, I have been living in uh, the northeast of England, um, a lovely city called Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And that's where I live with my wife and my son. So it's all good. Yeah. And so, yeah, how old were you when you moved to Newcastle? I was, um, I would have been about 12, about 12 when I moved to Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. came, to, I came to school over here. My family lived in um, Cumbria at the time, well, my mom and my brother and my stepfather. So. Sounds like you grew up basically in all along rugby league country. I forget the name of the the road, but basically that one road that kind of stretches across the north of England where all that it's basically one of two places in the world where they prefer rugby league to union. But it sounds like you grew up kind of in rugby league country there. 
Well, yeah, Wigan. Wigan's huge with rugby league. Uh, my, so that's where I came from. But my nan lived in St. Helens. So, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I... I don't know who I would support, really. I, I was, um, my heart was with St. Helens, maybe, because I was very close to my nan and my granddad. So, yeah, I think St. Helens I would have picked first and foremost, really. So Yeah, you might appreciate it. The uh, We ask the first question is always, where are you from and what was it like growing up there? We actually I actually stole that from a rugby league podcast because they do that for all their guests. So you're one of like <laughs> two people I think we've ever had on the show that would actually appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So what's it what's it like growing up in the in the north of England? How would you describe it to people? Um, well, we're, I would think we're one of the most friendliest people in the world. I would say um, it's ranked um, in the top five for nightlife destinations um, in the world. <laughs> but that was prior prior COVID. So it's a great city, lovely people. We are the richest football club in the world now. <laughs> after, after the takeover, so um, all things will be going good there, which will give a massive boost to the city. Um, but yeah, it's a. I mean, the great thing for me is we were. I live about ten minutes drive from the centre of Newcastle, which is a beautiful city. I live five minutes drive from the coast, and then about a ten minute drive from lovely countryside in Northumberland. So it's we've got everything. We've got a really big um, shopping centre as well called the Metro Centre. So it's a yeah, and we've got we've got an up and coming football team as well. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all good. So, if you don't mind telling us, how did you become disabled? Nineteen seventy-eight, um, first day of the summer holidays, we broke up on um, the Friday, Saturday morning. Um, my mom. It, um, that in 1978, Star Wars had just come out, and my mum bought us this quilt cover of Star Wars. So we, were, truthfully, I'm not a big fan of Star Wars, but my brother was. So my mum thought I'll buy him the same thing. So my brother said, "Let's go and show our best friend um, our quilt cover." And when we were down there, he said, "What are you doing today?" And we said, "Oh, nothing." And he said, "Why don't you come with us to clean my granddad's lorry?" We said, yeah, we fancy that. So we rang my mum. My mum said that was fine. So um, they said it's up in the next village, which is across this dual carriageway. And the father said, okay, you're going to come. And we said, yes. So that was me, my brother, and Sean. He said, right, okay, get yourself out and go and have a walk up there. And we'll, I'll meet you up there in half an hour. And uh, I, he said, I'll come in, I'll come in the car slightly later than use and I I said can I come in the car with you and uh, with you and he slapped me I can remember him slapping me across the head and said pee off you little lazy bugger (laughs) and go out and walk walk it's a lovely day so I went out the house moaning because I wasn't really big on walking to be honest I was quite um, fat and lazy and um, but yeah so I set off walking um, with my brother and my best friend we went through the village, across the dual carriageway, into the next village. And as we're going into the this village, New Biggin, um, this um, lorry came up behind us, past us. And when it got past us, we, me and Sean crossed out behind the lorry. And a car was coming the opposite way. And sadly, it ran me over. 
you know, well, it broke my back. I had head injuries, which is still debatable, to be honest. <laughs> a few, quite a few people say I've got head injuries, but I don't know about that. But yeah, um, so so that happened, and then um, the father came up, um, Derek came up and saw what had happened um, with Timmy, the youngest son, and uh, he then had to take the children back to his house, where his ma- where his wife was going to look after them lot and then he went to see my mom told her what happened and he took her to hospital so and i was on route to hospital and the granddad was then cleaning the lorry on his own um about half an hour after my accident and sadly half an hour after my accident the lorry collapsed while he was cleaning it the trailer and it killed him outright wow so Luckily, my accident had saved all our lives, except for the grandfather, unfortunately. Wow. So, but yeah, but I wouldn't change it. Like I say, I didn't like walking anyway. <laughs> yeah. you, were, you were talking to us about your story, and you said that you believe that ending up in a wheelchair was your, was your destiny. Why, why, would you, why do you think that? I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done, you know. As a lifestyle, as a work, I don't know. Like I say, I was quite lazy. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's made me who I am, you know. I, you know I, would, I would still say that the best year of my life was that 1978 when I was in hospital. It was, you know, I had fun times. I'm, I, I was only an eight-year-old child, nine-year-old nine, nine child. And in an adult's ward, and you have to imagine some of the things going on and the language and I was getting spoiled and, you know, it, it wasn't a bad time for me. It was hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard. But what I would say being spinal injuries, when you, when you're in hospital, my hands and arms aren't affected, but my legs are. But when you look across the table and someone's paralyzed from the neck, you, you really think, thank God I've got my hands. And most tetraplegics look across the table back at the paraplegic and go i wish they wish they had the hands movement and everything that i've got so you do think yourself lucky on that respect you're quite i mean you're quite athletic and you're involved in a lot of sports so how did you get into sports after your injury and uh, i understand that before curling you were actually quite a competitive basketball player so how did you get into that can i just start by saying before my accident I wasn't very sporty. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I, I hated any sport. Yeah, I think I think my granddad used to take me to, um, I think it was Ruskin Drive, which is just um, near the rugby ground, St. Ellen's Rugby Ground. And he used to just let me run around the track because it was all that I was good at. Not that, I don't know why, I think he was just trying to tire me out, I think. But yeah, that was, I didn't like football, I didn't like any sport. But then when, obviously, when I broke my back, they, my mom found it hard getting me into a school, disabled school, in 1978. So then she found a school in Carlisle. And uh, that that wasn't very good academically. Well, it wasn't good for a lot of things, but it, it was lovely. But they had a swimming pool. So I used to just go swimming, and I was, I was nine years old, just nine and a half. And they used to just put me in the pool because I was that bored. And I used to just swim a mile. Just most days, I swam a mile just for something to do. I, I used to be able to swim a hundred meters, no legs, being paralysed underwater, hundred meters. So I was I was quite fit at that age. 
And um, they, um, so eventually my mom realized that I wasn't the brightest of children. <laughs> like I couldn't read, couldn't write, and still, still not great at both of them things, but I kind of get by um, now. But so she realized that I needed to get some education behind me. And um, so she eventually found a school in Newcastle upon time. And the rest is history. I moved over to Newcastle. It was a boarding school. And when my mom, I can remember the morning, the first morning I went, my mom, me and my mom were on the minute on the bus, 52-seater bus from Carlisle. Well, we, we lived in this little village still, and we had to get a taxi to Carlisle. And then we got onto this 52-seater bus, and me and my mum were crying in my eyes out. So I was, I think I was about 11 and a half then, and I was crying my eyes out again. I don't want to go, mum. I've just come home. I've been in hospital. You know what I mean? I didn't want to move, you know, feel like you're throwing me away. You're getting rid of me again. I've just come home. So that's, I can remember the conversation like it was yesterday. Um, so we got there. My mum stayed with me most of the day. And then she went off and she was crying her eyes. I was getting the train back to Carlisle, Cumbria. And uh, so I'm then at this school, left on my own. I was a bit upset when my mum was leaving. And then she rang. I can remember she rang at about 6.30 on a night, on that night. And uh, I was in residential. And the house mother, her name was Jean. She answered the phone and she said, hi, um, who is it? And the, my mum said, it's Barbara Stewart's mum. And she says, I'll go and get him. And she went to get, uh, she came to get me and I was playing pool. <laughs> I was playing pool in the, in the sports room. <laughs> and um, she um, she says, Stuart, your mum's on the phone. And I said, tell her I'll speak to her tomorrow. And the rest is history. <laughs> and I, I never rang. I never rang her again. Meaning, I, I was going home at weekends, but I, I loved every minute, and it made me who I am today. But that introduced me to wheelchair basketball and lo- lots of other sports. But wheelchair basketball was my passion from the day I tried it. What did you like about wheelchair basketball? Well, my best friends, the people I had met, were um, were doing it. But you know it. It was a funny sport because we were in, if you look at wheelchair basketball today and you look at it in the 1980s, we we were playing basketball in a hospital wheelchair. So mm. it was just a basic hospital wheelchair. And we actually used to, if you, these chairs folded. You used to fall fall out of them and then they folded in half, these chairs. <laughs> 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 but you, and you had foot plates, you had swing away foot plates and, you know, so people used to snap the foot plates and play with one foot plate on, and they were quite dangerous. And but yeah, it it, it was a chat. It was a challenge for me because I wasn't the strongest. But you know, at them days, um, and please don't take this the wrong way, but in the early eighties and maybe even earlier, but disabled sport was disabled sport. And for me, and I, I can remember watching the. Uh, the NBA, the National Basketball Association League, um, and watching Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, um, Larry Bird. I was watching all them, and I'm going, oh, that's the way they shoot. Or all my peers and everyone else, everyone else in the sport, even the adult, they used to shoot with two hands. So they used to chest pass the ball mm. into the basket. And that's how disabled people shot. And I was gone. 
I want to shoot like Michael Jordan, me like. <laughs> <laughs> so I I started shooting like a, a like a javelin to start with to try and get the the strength, and I built up a bit of strength, and I was quite fit after doing the swimming at this previous school. So I eventually taught myself to um, shoot one handed, and as much like my heroes from the NBA um, was shooting and. I went to America in 1984, and you know one of the stories from 1984 in this American trip that this school had took us to. Um, I was playing in, um, and I will get it wrong. I, I I always say it's the Bronx, but I don't think it is. It's Queens. It was a team called Bull of the Watchmakers, and uh, they were a watch um, previously from a watchmaking. Um, place i think they were but yeah this team and we were playing against them there was this guy and he was about six foot ten like standing up but he in the wheelchair he was quite tall and i can remember shooting and he said hey son what are you shooting like that for and i'm like well this is the way i want to shoot and he says no you've got to shoot like a disabled person i was like no no <laughs> i want to shoot i want to shoot like my heroes so you know i i was proud of what i I'm not saying I started because I didn't, but I was proud of how I took on the sport. And I, I think because maybe I'm not saying because I was young and I, I may, I may be at that time. And like I say, please don't take this the wrong way. But at that time, wheelchair sport was wheelchair sport. And at that time, if you spoke to anyone um, about how oh, I do a wheelchair sport, they all used to, everyone used to say, oh, isn't it lovely for them? And I wanted to change that awe oh, into wow. And, you know, and I always challenged myself when I was playing basketball against different people and mainly able-bodied. I would do free shooting from free throws and stuff like that against able-bodied people in Newcastle, against the professional teams in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And I used, to, I used to beat some of the players at free throws and because I wanted to show what I could do and what disabled people could do. And, you know, I did win a, quite a few pairs of basketball boots off them and tops and stuff like that. And I, I actually did drive to the houses to make sure I got the clothes. I wasn't, I wasn't going to let them take, not give it me. So, but yeah. And so you ended up on the British basketball squad. So how did you get into that program? And then what was your international basketball career like? Um, well, it would have been round about um, 19... 90 because when I left school in 1985 I left school and then I, we started playing for a local team in Newcastle then that first season we um, got we went to the national games at Stoke Mandeville which is Stoke Mandeville if anyone doesn't know Stoke Mandeville is the home of the Paralympics the guy that started okay. the, the, the the doctor called Ludwig Goodman, um, who was a doctor at Stoke Mandeville, he actually made the original Paralympics, which was the para games, the paraplegic games. But yeah, so we went to these games and we were just a bunch of young, cocky, you know, maybe a bit, you know, we we had too much confidence to be honest, but we, we went to these first national games, which was the best teams in the whole country went. And we were just a bunch of school kids, um, but we had some talent. And we ended up coming fourth in the national games. And sadly, after that, um, all our players got separated 
because different teams wanted the best of us. And I went to play at a team in Milton Keynes who were one of the top teams. And we won what we won the National League in about 1990, I think it was, 1989-1990. And I got selected in the British squad then after that. I mean, I was only in the British squad for a few years. Um, the coach at that time is he's he's he started, he was one of the founders of the started wheelchair curling in Scotland called Michael McCready. And uh, he was the coach of wheelchair basketball at that time. And he selected me. So I know, I still know Michael very well. Um, but yeah, um, and I, so I played basketball at all levels. Um, one of the guys, which was my hero, called Ray Cross, 69 years old he is now. And he, um, I always wanted to play with him. And I eventually got to play with him in a club team, which was a team called LGS Jets. And I played with him for a tournament in Great Britain. And he was, he was my Michael Jordan of, you know, he was, he was my hero, to be honest. Hmm. And um, I'm proud to say that, you know, he's been going through a few bad times um, lately. Sadly, his wife passed away. Um, 18 months ago and he's now got into wheelchair curling and he's he's loving it and you know and he actually said to me the other week he said Stuart I know I'm your hero from back in the day of wheelchair basketball you're now my hero from curling because of what you've done for me so you know we say you know things maybe turn around and you know it's maybe me giving back as well but you know I'm proud of that but so hopefully Hopefully, we've got a few more people we'll introduce to the sport as well. So, so how did you get into curling then? What at what stage did you get into it? Was it uh, same um, time you were doing basketball, or a little bit later? Or yeah, because I'm 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 back playing basketball now. Um, I'm training. I'm training. I, I had a training session last week, so I did. Ha- I have had about five years out from basketball currently, but mm. I'm just going to go back just for my fitness, really. But yeah, um, in in two thousand and six. I watched the, I think it was the Torino Olympics. I think it was. I might be wrong, but I'm sure it was. Yeah, 2006 was Torino, yeah. Yeah, so I watched the Torino Olympics and I was watching the curl and I went, this is interesting, this. (laughs) And so I watched the Olympics and then the Paralympics came on and I watched that and I saw a couple of the British squad um that were there and one was michael mccready another one was tam killen and i knew these people from wheelchair basketball and i said to my best friend Stephen, have you watched this sport do you fancy it and he was like no no it's interesting but not he was doing basketball as well at the time and i said i've got to try it and he says no and we never did anything for four years four years later vancouver and i went i've got to try this sport and uh, the Paralympics came on again from Vancouver. Um, so when I was watching that, I then waited until the British squad got back from um, Vancouver. And I got a hold of Tam Killen. And uh, he um, said, come up and have a try. And we went and had a try and absolutely loved it. But we were very competitive. Me and Stephen were competitive. And we challenged him to a game, just a one, a couple of end game. Um, at uh, Murrayfield Ice Rink in Edinburgh 
and we beat him and <laughs> come back from the Paralympics. So, you know, hopefully he won't mind me telling him that. But then I can remember when we left that ice rink, when we left that ice rink, we he told us there was there's a there's a wheel a wheelchair curling club in um, Kelso uh, called Borders Wheelchair Curling Club, something like that. And uh, he gave us the we got the phone number of the guy, and I can remember talking to him, um, Jim Buchanan, and uh, I, I I got him on the phone in the car, and I said, "Hi, Jim, my name's such and such." I'm from Newcastle. Me and my mate Stephen, we want to come and do curling with you. Yeah, okay, we curl every Saturday. And he went, he says, oh, yeah, come down, come and join us. And uh, I said, but we're going to be the best you've ever seen. I can remember saying that. To him. <laughs> and he just, he just laughed and he went, oh, who are these two? Me and Stephen were so excited on the lead up to um, this Saturday. So Friday night, I rang Jim Buchanan who was the run, the organiser of this club. And he says, oh, yes, Stuart, we're going out for a meal at our friend's house in a couple of villages away. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock. And we went, all right, okay. So I put the phone down. I said, I rang Stephen. I said, right, see you in the morning. He says, I'll be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I said, all right, okay. I'll pick you up at 7 o'clock in the morning. So we went to bed. Everything was great. Yeah, it was... Um, I, I think it was blue skies outside when we when I closed the curtains or whatever. Clear night, closed the curtains, went to bed. He rang me up at five o'clock in the morning. He said, Stuart, have you had a look outside? And I went, no. <laughs> and he says, you better have a look. I mean, there was something like three, four. I mean, that's not, I know this going to Canada, but, <laughs> but for, <laughs> us, for us, a light, a light splattering of snow is quite bad for us. But it wasn't. It was a, It was a good couple of feet to be honest um so he said you better have a look so i had a look out and he went oh my god and we were devastated we because we wanted to go and go so he says what do you think we should do and i said i don't know he says i'm gonna come and get you we'll go we'll go and i was like all right okay okay so he drove i can remember he drove to mine i had to get a shovel to get to his car to dig through because we, we've got a quite a long garden so i dug i dug out got to his car and my, I can remember looking back at the house and my wife's my wife's in the doorway with my little boy crying. This was at seven o'clock in the morning going, don't go and I'm going, we're fine, we're fine. So we set off on an hour and a half journey, which was frightening to be honest. Very bad. And hmm. you know, I don't think the police will want to hear this, but at one point we were going over the top of the on the A68 going up to, I think it's the Jedborough Road, going up to Kelso, and it said road closed. And Stephen <laughs> looked at me and he said, did you see that? And I went, what? Because I, I hadn't really seen it clearly. And he went, I never saw it either. And we went, <laughs> we went through this road closed and kept um, kept going. And, oh, my God, we eventually got five minutes from the ice rink. And um, so we'd been driving for about an hour and 25 minutes. And uh, my wife, I got, I rang my wife and I said, we're nearly here. And she says, well, let me know when you get there. So then I got a hold of the ice rink and said, we don't know where we're coming to. Uh, 
the 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 Jim Kedry is another guy who ran the ice rink, the ice manager, and I said hi. My name's Stuart. We're a bunch of two Geordies. We're coming up to curl with the wheel, the wheelie team. And he went, it's cancelled. Have you seen the weather out here? And I'm like, <laughs> and I went, you're joking. We've come from Newcastle. He said, you couldn't have, you couldn't get here. I said, we're, we're coming into Kelso now. And he, I said, you have to be open after we've come. And he went, no, you'll not even get into the car park. There's there's a mound of snow, and 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 I said we're coming. Just open up. Like, ne- I'd never met him before in my life, so I put the phone down, and we we got to the ice rink car park, and there was this huge mound of snow where the snow had blown blown all up against, um, and created this huge bump. And uh, Stephen, we were in this little red car, very small car. And Stephen looked at me and said, what should I do? And I said, I don't know. And he said, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll ram it, I'll ram it. And we rammed through the snow, went through the car park. This guy's looking out of his window through the blinds and went, oh, my God, what are these two like? And he had to open the ice rink and let us on the ice. And two guys came and coached us, but... That's how Northern Ice was formed, to be honest. <laughs> so. That is that is the most dedicated story I think I've ever heard as far as getting to your first time yeah. to we try were, curling. We were, is... not, we were not going to not do it. <laughs> we once played in a, an, able, an able-bodied game, just one game on a night time at Kelso. So we drove an hour and 45 minutes to Kelso. We were playing with able-bodied. We were playing lead stones, and there's nothing wrong with playing lead stones, but they're not. It's not the interesting if places you've got to play, okay? But we we were happy doing it. We wanted to throw stones. We drove up. We we got there. We threw our first two stones, um, and then the next people were throwing, and one of the girls on our sheet, she um, was sweeping. She sadly fell backwards, cracked her head burst her head open, blood on the ice. The game was cancelled. The game was cancelled, so we had to go home. We drove for an hour and 45 minutes, thrown two stones, and I can remember to this day we got back in the car and still said, we love this sport. We can't wait to come back next time. And that was so that was three-and-a-half-hour drive to throw two stones. Mm. And uh, wow. but just compared to wheelchair basketball, would I drive three and a half hours to shoot two baskets? I don't think I would. So, so what is it about curling that hooked you like that? I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, don't get me. I mean, wheelchair basketball was. I was quite talented at wheelchair basketball. I, 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 you'll have to ask other people whether I'm talented at curling. I don't know about that. But I, I, it was a hard sport for me because I was. It, if anyone knows anything about able-bodied basketball or wheelchair basketball, a full-court press, I was pressed from when I got the ball. So usually the whole court, I had to get up the court with someone stopping me get up court. So I did find it hard towards the late latter years of my career. But, you know, maybe I don't have to do that now. I'm just, it's the challenge of throwing the stone down that ice 100 feet, you know, and obviously... Obviously, I will say we don't cheat, we don't sweep. So <laughs> we just we just throw and we do pray a little bit, but you know, nothing. Our stones get don't, don't get 
don't get helped. So, but yeah. yeah, no, it's just an amazing sport for us, you know. And like I say, my one of my biggest thrills is when I play able bodied because I just want, you know, I, so quite often I skip and quite often skips say to me, What about us sweeping? And I always say, you know, if you need to sweep your stones, you sweep your stones. And they and then they usually say, no, what about us sweeping your stones out the house? And I'm going, whoa. I said, i tell you what, if you have to sweep, you have to say wow to what we're doing. Because we're not sweeping your stones and we're not sweeping our stones. So if you have to sweep, then we're obviously doing something great. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's for me. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, you know, wheelchair curler can be equal to an able-bodied. Maybe not at the elite level, but definitely good club, club curlers. I think we can compete against them. For now. I would say that able-bodied curlers sometimes try when they're curling against a wheelchair team, because I've seen it in my own eyes. They quite often try to work out what we're doing. What they should do is close their eyes, wait until the stone, our stones have landed, and then do their game, not what what we're doing. Because I think it sometimes messes with the able-bodied um, brain, to be honest. <laughs> I think they, th- they think too much about what we're doing rather than what they've got to do. So how many, how many curlers do you have in the Northern Ice Club now? Um, currently, we've um, we, we've got about sixteen, I think seventeen, which is remarkable. Yeah, traveling an hour and a half to get well, sorry, two hours to get in the ice cream because we started off at Kelso, we then moved to Lockerbie for a while, and now we're at Dumfries Ice Cream. So, but I mean, you can check us out on Facebook. We've got a we've got a Facebook page which is quite active. Um, but yeah see what we do and who we are really. So So how are you able to recruit that many people to, you know, drive as far as you guys do in order to play? I don't know. I don't I mean we let's say the bulk of Northern Ice members are best friends. Or the the hardcore of us. There's about five of us hardcore. But then, you know, I think our sport is so I think if we can get people to the ice rink I think you usually get them hooked. But what happened was we we have got about seven or eight brand new curlers this year in the last seven in the last year really because when COVID happened, I started to panic about this sport, and I started to go, this could kill our sport. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it was the same for able-bodied because there's a lot of aging curlers out there. And sorry for saying this, but you know we're were they going to still want to curl and, you know, were they going to be affected with COVID and this, that, and that. And that was the same for wheelchair curlers. Our, the age of wheelchair curlers is quite high, really. I mean, we're, we're about 50, 50-something, 50 nor the nice bulk of our members, but um, quite a few of the other teams are a bit older than that. So I was just thinking of getting trying to get new members and so I emailed a lot of my old friends from wheelchair basketball throughout England mainly and I just wanted to see if any of them fancied it and 13 came and tried of it 13 loved it they came to the northwest castle in October last year fell in love with the sport and eight of them seven of them have continued so yeah and one of them's my hero Ray Cross so hopefully 
if you put it on, you'll hear this one. I'll get him to listen to it. But yeah, so. And so you you you've worked with a few different ice rinks. It sounds like getting your players on the ice. H- how can an ice rink work with a wheelchair curling club to make them feel welcome and um, encourage them to keep playing? I mean, for me, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Canada or America, um, but for me, um, most of the people that are doing curling, wheelchair curling, are on benefits. So the the cheaper we can get it to, you know, give them the ice to start with anyway. Let's get people hooked first, you know. But, you know, a few of the ice rinks in um, in we curl in, um, we're from Newcastle, obviously, we have to travel. But I think um, the facilities have to be okay for us. And a lot a lot of the facilities are old, old ice rinks. So, you know, just, you know, we have to know that we're, we're able to go to the toilet or, you know, it's nice if we can go to the bar. You know, quite often the bars are upstairs and sometimes there's not lifts. Mm-hmm. So, um, but... That is changing a lot more for us now um, in um, different ice rinks. Um, some of them weren't, didn't have the lifts and stuff like that, but it's getting a lot better for us now. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure the ones that I've met the, um, at Kelso and Lockerbie and Dumfries, the, the, the ice managers and the managers of the ice rinks are all over the moon about having us there. You know, it's great for them, and you know we've got a good relationship now with Dun- um, with Graham at Dumfries Ice Bowl, and we're we're proud to say we've got our logo on the ice there. So um, and it's looking quite nice. Um, but you know, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm proud of you know our working relationships with all the ice rinks we've been with. You know, yeah. So it. I think I think we. I'm cheeky. I'm cheeky. I'll ask for anything, you know, and I'll get the best deal. Because at the end of the day, it's for my best. It's for my best friends, you know. I just want us to curl, and you know. But we do fundraise hard. Northern Ice fundraise hard, or we did prior to COVID. So we do quite well financially, and you know, Northern Ice helps our members out quite, you know, as much as we can to make it as cheap as them, but. Especially with Northern Ice, because we go to Dumfries for two days. So we stay in a hotel, we travel, curl, stay in a hotel, curl the next morning and go home. Rather than just going over and then curling and coming back. Because a four-hour drive is not great. And then you're on the ice for two hours of it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's mm. So we try and mix and have a bit of social, really. So, And we don't, I mean... Geordie, the Geordie um, reputation is a lot of drinking, but <laughs> we we don't drink a lot now. To be honest, we we just we just want to have fun with our mates. So on and off the ice. So, yeah. Well, in addition to having fun, you've also you've you've become quite a competitive curler as well. You've represented England. You've been part of the British program for rinks and other curl, able-bodied curling clubs out there who want to help. Um, wheelchair curlers who want to develop their game and become more competitive, what are the ways that they can help, you know, develop skills and, and help the players that want to get to that competitive level like you've reached? 
I think just to you know tell them to come and join you and have a have a game with you, you know, because I you know like I say I I, I love curling with Northern Ice, but I really enjoy curling with able bodied and you know I, and I think we I think both the able bodied teams and the wheelchair curlers can learn from each other really you know and yeah you know I, I've only got positive to say about this sport you know I think the after the after you know going to the bar after and everything and you know, we, we don't buy that many drinks. <laughs> we always seem to be hiding when it's our turn, even if we win or lose, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think, I don't know. But, yeah, we, we do buy some, some drinks. But, yeah, um, I just I just think it's a lovely, sociable atmosphere. And, you know, it, you know I can't, I, I honestly can't say I've met many people that are negative to me as a curler or my friends really they you know the able body that are amazing and you know we you know most when we're playing in the competition especially a domestic competition in um scotland with um scottish curling and stuff like that like i've just been to the british open this weekend we'd be lost without the able-bodied curlers that come and help us on the ice because mm. they just you know it just helps us massively being able to put the stones out for us and you know everyone's so polite this sport you know i think to be honest quite a few other sports need to look at curling and look at the way that you know the etiquette is you know we like we we northern ice has got a bad reputation from the past um because we came into a sport and we didn't realize the etiquette but I'll be honest with you, the etiquette is what I love about it as well. I think, I think the people are amazing. Wheelchair basketball, I, I, I fell out of love with wheelchair basketball because of how it had turned. It had turned into a monster in my eyes. Hmm. You know, it had become too big. You know, I just I love this sport because of, you know, it's like wheelchair basketball was in the eighties. To be honest, it was. So you've represented England a few times, especially in the World B wheel, wheelchair B event. So I guess you've gone to Loya, Finland too, right? <laughs> well, my uh, yeah, my brother actually lives in um, Finland. He lives, he, he's he's um, engaged and got got a little girl. Him and the uh, the manager of Loa. So yeah. Oh, he's, wow. He's out there, so, yeah. So I've, I've got part finishing me, to be honest. <laughs> uh, is, it, yeah. you, is he engaged to Jenny? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. She was talking. She was cheering for us at the Junior Bs because she's like, oh, my fiance is from England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that, how wow. small the curling world is. That's anyway. my brother. That's my brother. So. Oh, wow. But, okay. Yeah. So I guess, like, how did you get on the England team? And then how have you performed internationally when you represented England? Well, when I when I started Northern Ice and I fell in love with the sport, then I, I obviously I wouldn't say I had ambitions, but I then looked into internationally. Um, after a few years, and I went, "How do I curl internationally? If I fancy, if I fancy doing it." And the, and they said, "Well, there's the well, the, there's the Scottish squad, which they were the British squad, but they are the Scottish squad." Um, at that time, and so I, I then and I looked into the England squad, and there used to be an England squad, but there wasn't. So I then set out to 
um, start up an English wheelchair curling squad. And that's what I did in 2014. I looked into it 2013, started doing more in 2014. And then 2015, I got us to go to the World B Championships in Loha, Finland. So that's where it started. And that team is still going now. I don't run it as much. I'm still um, part of the team. And um, I'm... I think I'm one of the main player curlers in that team, but I, do, I have been throwing last stones. I haven't been skipping, um, but, you know, I, I, I love curling for my country. But, yeah, so I went, I think I've been to four World, uh, World B Championships. and We haven't really had the best results, and, you know, that's I'm not saying that's a lot to do with us being self-funded, but it's, it's not easy and, and it's financially hard. But we, I would I would curl every day if I could afford it, mm. and I want to curl at that level. I want to a, a lot of my best, a lot of my new friends that I would call very good friends, are in um, different world teams. You know, I get on really well with the Norwegians, and I do get on well with the Russians, and I know everything that's going on over there, and you know, and I I feel so much for hard for. Um, Ukraine, um, I think it's sad that it's affected, you know, the Paralympics, you know. But, yeah, I, I understand and I totally agree with what, you know, them having to go home. But, you know, I've got a lot, I've got a lot of friends in the international teams. So does England have a big what, rivalry then in, uh, in the World Bees? Or? In the World Bees? Um, I think, <laughs> I think um, we just want to... Win every game, you know. Our biggest rivalry is Scotland, really. But they're in the world. They're in the A's. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I think oh, I wouldn't say there's a rival in the world, Bees. You know, we we got on really well with every team. But when you step on that ice or you wheel on that ice, you you want to um, you want to win every game, you know. But we wheelchair curl, and it sometimes comes down to inches, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sadly. But, yeah. Or sometimes feet, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, especially 12 feet, sometimes we can't even hit the target. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the case for everyone. That's, I mean, that's yeah. half the love of the sport, right? Sometimes you can't miss, and other times you can't even hit the paint. So. Yeah. Well, I blame I blame the iceman. <laughs> so, no, it's great. It's great, and you know I, I've had great times curling for Northern Ice, and I've I've had really good times as well with curling for England. You know, I've I I think I've I've curled against most international teams. The only one I haven't curled against is China, but I know I know them to say hello to. Um, and I've beat, I've beat most of them, but they beat us more than we beat them. <laughs> mm. You know, and I'm proud to say Russia, when they were um, at the top of their game, and they're still one of the top teams in the world. We were a bunch of Geordies, not knowing we didn't have a clue about the strategy of curling. We just saw, well, if we chip off here and we roll in here, you know, you never know what'll happen. And we ended up beating the Russians and. They were they were the number one team in the world by far, and we we were just a bunch of lucky Geordies that got a good result once. So. <laughs> when was this? 
There's a, that was at Hamilton Ice Rink at the British Open, and I think it was 2014. But yeah, okay. So, okay. But yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. We like I say we've we've beat most teams, but sadly, we might only have had one good result against them, and they've maybe had five or six good results against us. So, but yeah. So for folks watching the Paralympics and maybe they're watching wheelchair curling for the first time, what's something that they're not going to notice watching on TV that's important for you guys as, as you're playing, whether it's strategy wise or whether it's execution on shots wise? I would say that at that level that you, you've got to be so precise where you land the stone, just, you know, just as much in, um, you know, the able-bodied, because most of them teams can take out, they can, if they can see half of that stone, they'll be able to take it out, no matter what. So, you know, well, I think what we do, you know, to be able to, or the, what the, when you, when you see them place the stone where they place it, it's remarkable, to be honest. It's, um, especially when the skip is asking. I mean, one of the great, one of the guys that's up and coming and is, phenomenal is um john thurso from canada you know and i i talk I, I i talk to him when i see him and i get on really well with him i get on really well with mark iderson as well but um he they're asking for a tea weight and he's very close every time mm. you know you have to realize when we release that stone from the end of our queue it's a hundred feet to the bottom you know so you know i think you know until until someone that doesn't curl tries this sport, they, they'll, they'll never they'll think, oh, because we when we come from wheelchair basketball, we thought we're not going to play this sport. It's a load of rubbish. It's it's for all people, but it, it's not the case. It's an amazing sport. But yeah, um, strategy. I'm not a I'm not a great one for strategy because I don't I don't I don't skip a lot. I'm doing a bit more with GB now as the B. Uh, um, Sheila Swan has had me skipping the B team for Great Britain, so I'm learning more and more all the time, and and I'm enjoying it. But I want to. I, I, that's what I'm watching with the Paralympics, and you know, I, I do watch the Briar, and I watch you know the Olympics, and I'm trying to learn as much as I can about strategy. But it's a bit above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming it on the nineteen eighty seventy eight when when I didn't have a school to go to. So yeah. <laughs> yeah so. so who who do you think are the favorites in the Paralympics? How you might like running? So you said you've played almost all the teams in it. So who, how would you kind of like look at the field and break I it mean, down for our listeners? It's 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 so hard because I I think wheelchair curling is quite open to be honest. You know, because most of the teams are very good curlers, and it's on the day really. But um, I think if someone curls at sixty percent, if a team curls at sixty percent, I think you've got a good chance of being there or thereabouts in wheelchair curling. You know, um, but you know, China haven't started great at the minute, but I, I still wouldn't put it past them getting to the semi-finals, and then anything can happen. Um, Sweden, uh, the up and coming team, amazing, amazing team. Um, so I think they'll be thereabouts, you know. I mean, a great Britain, you know, I think I think they've got a chance. I think they've got a chance. They just need to run some, um, 
good wins together. Um, Norway, great team, great, lovely people. You know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're one of my best friends, you know, a lot of the Norwegian, Ollie and Justin. Um, but yeah, um, who else? Korea, technically really good Korea. Um, trying to think who else there is. I mean, America have come from the World Bees last year and and, and the day then came fourth in the last they they came from the world bees got up into the a division and then they came fourth last year so they could create an upset um but yeah the i think anyone can win it anyone can win so Stuart, we know that you've been very uh, gracious with your time uh, is there anything that you want to add or that we forgot to ask that uh, that you'd like to talk about before we before we let you go no, just, well, just thanks for your time and thanks for listening to my story. You know, hopefully I haven't bored you too much. Um, but yeah, um, please check us out on Facebook or we've got a YouTube site as well. Just, you know, my, my club is my heart, you know, my family. My family put up with a lot, me running Northern Ice, but, you know, I, I get a lot out of it myself. And especially my mates, I, you know, me and my mates, um, we... You know, being disabled, I, I know I put a positive thing, but it, it's not easy being disabled, especially spinal injuries. Um, but I just want to stay as active as long as possible. So, and that's why I do it for me and my mates. So, but yeah, but thanks for your time. Oh, absolutely, Jonathan. As Jonathan can attest, I could talk to someone about curling for three or four hours. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, lovely to meet you guys. Yeah. And, yeah, and let's let's hope that the world can turn around and everything can be all right again because it's terrible what's happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, thank, thanks so much for joining us, Stuart. Hopefully, I'll see you at some bond spiel soon. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hopefully we get to face up against each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, don't, and don't sweep my stone. <laughs> all right, I won't sweep your stone. <laughs> That's, I think that's a fair rule for anyone able-bodied ever playing a wheelchair team. You should not sweep behind the tee line. That's you already have a pretty big advantage with your sweeping there, right? So um, yeah, but I, I, you know, for me, for me, I don't mind, you know, but because it makes me try harder. You know, mm. at the end of the day, like I said before, for me, because because I, I think in the back of my brain, I'm still able-bodied. And I want I want to impress the able-bodied world of, of curling, you know, because you know, and I'm sure we do with what we do. But I just want to come off that ice and them to go. They can play, you know. That's you know. But anyway, but I am lucky as well. I'll take my lucky shots as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, have a good evening. See you right. soon. Yeah. Take care. Thank yeah. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.